have your Bibles, we're going to go to the book of Genesis, the third chapter. Praise God. Someone say amen. Amen, amen, amen. Praise God. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 13. I did want to make this last announcement because uh, I see um, some people that this would pertain to. We are currently also working on a Berkeley Richmond location. Uh, we've been looking in Berkeley, but uh, this week I'm going to be looking for a place where we can have Bible studies in Richmond. So uh, that will also be another option to us. We have several people that come from the Richmond, Berkeley area. So we want to make sure that we're out there as well. So that'll be exciting. And that will be bi-weekly. All right. So we're trying to make this as um, uh, accessible as possible. So uh, those, that's just two, two days uh, twice a month. It'll be good for you. Praise the Lord. Someone say amen. amen. We're going to reach our we're going to reach our world. Amen. We're going to reach our world. Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 13. The word of the Lord says, And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And I'm going to talk to you for just a few moments on this subject, the power of confessing our sins. The power of confessing our sins. Can we say that together? The power of confessing our sins. Jesus, we thank you for your word. Your word is powerful. And it is anointed. Lord, I pray that you would touch me today and allow me to minister what you've given me. Nothing more, nothing less. God, I pray that you would speak through me as the oracles of the Lord. Open my understanding. Give me wisdom, clarity, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. The Lord bless you. You may be seated. Most of us are familiar with the background of this text. The third chapter of Genesis retells the story of how Adam and Eve partook of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which God had told them not to partake of. In our opening text this morning, there is two revelations being presented to us. The first has to do with the strength of Satan, and the second has to do with the weakness of humankind. The scripture tells us that Satan... Uh, has appeared to Eve in the form of a talking serpent. This anomaly is perhaps the key reason for Satan being able to captivate Eve's attention. The Bible tells us that the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. The word subtle there comes from the Hebrew word arum, which translated means crafty. The dictionary describes crafty this way. Clever at achieving one's aims by indirect or deceitful methods. The serpent was crafty, clever, deceptive. 
this description of Satan is significant because craftiness is what he leverages against all humans, not just Adam and Eve. Subtlety and deception by way of indirect methods is where his strength really lies. Satan has no reason to change his approach. What worked in the garden is still working today. Satan's deception of Adam and Eve was subtle and strong enough to where Adam could not identify what exactly went wrong when God asked him the very simple question, who told you that you were naked? Adam could not give God an answer to a question which had the answer in it. The only thing Adam had to do was identify the who of the question. The simple, this simple question was of such importance that God asked Adam who told him he was naked before he ever asked him, did you eat of the tree? The serpent's confusion, gaslighting, and subtle tactics left Adam bewildered. So God turns to Eve and he asks her. Eve, without any hesitation, tells God what Adam would not tell God. The serpent beguiled me and I did eat. With nothing more than eight words of confession regarding what the serpent did and how she responded to it, God goes into action. And what does he do? He curses the serpent. God's judgment over the serpent, however, ties the serpent and humanity together forever. Satan will eat dust, he is told. But dust is the very thing that Adam and Eve and all humanity are made of. Satan will be stricken with an incurable, insatiable hunger for dust. And we, in turn, will be stricken by Satan. The only hope is in the seed that is born of the woman. It is the seed that will later be born of the woman who we today know as Jesus Christ that will crush the head of the serpent. Amen. But in the midst of all this, we learn our first lesson on how to deal with Satan, his subtleties, and our sins. The formula is very simple. When we confess our sin to God, the serpents that bite us are put in their place. When we confess our sins to God, the serpents that bite us, that deceive us, that subtly trick us, amen, are put in their place. I want to tell you today that sin is a complicated thing. It is so complicated that God has to personally help us to untangle ourselves from it. Sin is so complicated that the God of glory had to manifest himself in flesh, amen, in order to deliver us from sin. And when Satan gets involved, sin gets even more complicated. In fact, it gets so complicated that this is the chief and principal aim of God in manifesting himself in flesh. It is the apostle John who tells us, for this reason was Jesus Christ come into the world, that he might destroy the works of Satan. Because as you can see, humans, amen, are susceptible to all kinds of malicious and spiritual attacks, amen, when they sin. Humans need to help each other when they sin. 
And we need to help each other by restoring each other with meekness and humility. And I'm going to get back to the devil here in a minute. And I'm just going to put a small pause here for a minute. I am going to talk to you a little bit about how to shake the devil off. Because a lot of people, amen, never get this part of walking for God right. And I am telling you, it is one of the devil's greatest tactics against us is to make us think that he plays no role in our failure. He plays no role in our condemnation. He plays no role, amen, in our guilt and our shame. He plays no role in our hiding from God. Well, I just want to let you know that if I was the devil, that's exactly what I would want you to believe. I would want you to believe that he has nothing to do with it. I would want you to believe amen that you're just dealing with stubborn people I would want you to believe that you are dealing with chemical imbalances in the human brain I would want you to believe that you're dealing with somebody who just had a bad childhood I would want you to believe that you're just dealing with somebody that's hard to communicate with I would want you to believe that that's just the way men and women fail at talking I would want you to believe that that's just amen life I would want you to believe that there is no spiritual component to your situation because if you do not believe there's a spiritual component to your situation your situation will never truly be resolved you will never be delivered from it the people that are being affected by it will never be healed of it amen I am telling you today amen that there's I'm, I'm rather glad that there's not so many visitors uh, because the Lord told me amen you have got to educate my people this is what the apostle Paul said brethren I would not have you to be ignorant of Satan's devices. I am telling you that the devil will stick his hoof into every situation he can to make sure that you never get out, to make sure that you stay tangled up, to make sure that you live in self-guilt and self-condemnation and eventually in self-destruction. Uh, amen. But today we're going to deal with this situation. We're going to talk about it. Praise God. Oh, let's get the Lord a hand clap of praise. Amen. Humans, but I want to eliminate one of the biggest problems before we get to the devil. Humans need to help each other. We need to help each other by restoring each other with meekness and humility. Amen. People trapped in sin are in enough trouble already. People that are trapped in sin are in enough trouble already. They don't need... Amen. Additional human trouble. Uh, if we become the flesh and blood that people have to wrestle with, they will never see the spiritual origin behind their sin. The devil will push us into the lives of people. Amen. To bother them, to compound their problems, to make things worse. And that person will then get fixated. Amen. On the people. Amen. Rather than on the spirits. Amen. And what will end up happening, praise God, is that person, amen, hallelujah, will never attack their situation spiritually. Amen. They will always attack the people that are making their situation more difficult. And today, I'm going to preach to you, amen, on sin and the importance of confessing it to God. Amen. Above all else, we must always confess our sins to God. Amen. Hallelujah. I am just going to let you know that this theme right here makes people more uncomfortable than you might know. Amen. Because a lot of people believe that those who are trapped by sin have to go through people to get to God. I can tell you as a pastor, as a minister, amen, I have 
been in countless situations and encounters with people, amen, that would have been saved had there not been a ring of people, if not a single person in their life, amen, that was convincing them day in and day out that in order to be right with God, you've got to be right with me. Nothing could be further from the truth. Amen. Hallelujah. I am... I am, there are times, and I'm not here to pass judgment on situations. There are times when things need to be resolved between people. But a lot of people don't understand that the claims Jesus made while he was here on earth were absolutely, amen, mind-boggling. A lot of people always look to the obvious scriptures, amen, where Jesus says things like, I am, I am my father are one, amen, uh, People look at those scriptures when they try to identify the fact that Jesus Christ directly and explicitly said he was God manifest in the flesh. But let me tell you something else Jesus did, amen, to declare that he was God in the flesh. He would walk up to a person and tell them, your sins are forgiven. And what he never did was ask the person, amen, that that person may have sinned against, is it okay with you if I forgive them? He didn't need clearance from them to forgive them. And if you're in your right mind, you would know that the, the only two possible explanations for that is that he is obnoxious and arrogant or he is God in the flesh. And I'm going to go with option B. He is God in the flesh. And God in the flesh can forgive person A of everything they've done without ever consulting with person B. Amen. I See, I, I thought I would get that kind of a response. I got all of four or five people clapping because there are some of us that believe that other people, if they're going to make it to heaven... It's going to be because they reconcile with us. I got news for you. There are some people that are going to go skipping through the pearly gates, and you will never get a call, a text, a letter. Uh... Come on, somebody. Let's give God a hand. God, we And somebody said, I don't believe that. Well, I'll preach to you about that in a minute. But I'm just letting you know. Amen. Hallelujah. We do good to hurry up and just get out of the way. If we've been hurt, we need to go to God. If we've been injured, upset, offended, we need to go to God. Amen. Because there are no guarantees that people are going to come to us before they think they can get forgiven by God. And you definitely don't have a guarantee that God's going to stop by your house to ask you if you are okay with him forgiving Tiffany and John and Lisa and Paul and Peter and Mark, amen, and Jose, he gonna do what he gonna do, amen, because he got, hallelujah. Oh, somebody give Jesus a hand clap or praise. Somebody help me preach, amen, because I know I'm not the only one, amen, hallelujah, that God forgave of all kinds of stuff, amen, hallelujah. I, I'm going to tell you right now, one of the worst experiences in my life was after I got saved, somebody handed me a book, amen, on prayer, amen, I'm telling you, I don't care what anybody, somebody handed me a book on prayer, and in this book on prayer, I read it because I was in love with praying, and I thought this book is going to really encourage my prayer life, and chapter 
chapter one was great. Chapter two was great. Chapter three was great. Amen. And then all of a sudden, I got to a chapter in the book where the man started saying, you're not right with God until you go back. Amen. And, and, and perform acts of restitution against everybody you've ever offended, hurt, stole from. You know what I did? I went in the phone book. Then I started looking for people I had stolen from. I had hurt and started trying to call people. Amen. To ask for forgiveness because I thought I couldn't be right with God. But it never dawned on me that there's power in the name of Jesus. There's power. Come on, somebody. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, come on. Hallelujah. Somebody praise the Lord. Oh, let's magnify Jesus. You need to get this in your spirit, saint of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hey. Sometimes the jury's out on our situation. Did you know, this is not, this is not even in my notes, and I kind of don't even want to get into it, but did you know, I, I think it's a law here in California, I think I was talking to Brother Van Heusen about it, did you know that in the Bible, if you built a house, you had to put a tiny little fence around the roof so that people wouldn't fall off your roof? I think here in, in, in the state of California, even if they're there to rob your house and they fall off your roof, they can sue you. I didn't get a big amen on that. Praise God. But the point I'm trying to make is that, is that sometimes situations are a lot more trickier than they seem. Sometimes the reason somebody hurts us is because we're not behaving responsibly. Y'all didn't want to hear that. Sometimes the reason we get offended is because we're not behaving responsibly. Sometimes the reason we are being attacked is because we are not behaving responsibly. And we can't expect somebody, amen, hallelujah, to become the barrier between us and God because we were not behaving responsibly. Praise God. I told somebody the other day, I got a revelation about raising my kids. And I, I remember the day God spoke to me and said, you are a steward of their emotions. I am responsible for how my children behave. I am responsible at a, up until a certain age. I am responsible to teach them how to regulate their emotions. There are feelings I am not going to let them have. There are feelings I, I know. I know some of you are getting kind of tight. That's all right. Get tight because it's right anyways. Amen. Hallelujah. You, the Bible says a child left to themselves will bring their parents to shame. Amen. When you just let your kid have their way, praise God, they are going to have their way. And you and I will be left in shame. We have to regulate regulate their emotions. There's days I tell my kids even now, you've got to stop crying. You're going to stop crying or the consequences are going to be even worse. It's okay to cry. It is not okay to throw a temper tantrum. It's okay to be upset. It is not okay to throw things. It is okay to be mad. It is not okay to sin. Praise God. We're going to teach you how to express yourself, how to regulate your emotions, how to have we're going to teach you how to have a bad day.
come on. Hey, mom and dad, this is what you do. Amen. When you get up to work and you don't feel like it, you regulate your emotions. Why would you withhold that from your children? The sooner they learn it, the better. The sooner they learn it, the better. You got to teach them what you practice every day in order to be able to put food on the table and clothes on their back and shoes on their feet. If, if it's good for the goose, it's good for the gander. Praise God. If it's good for you, it's good for them. And some of us, the reason we ended up in church is because our parents never taught us how to regulate our emotions. And so when we got sad, we ran to drugs. When we got sad, we ran to the bottle. When we got mad, we ran in bed with somebody. When we got hurt, we punched people. When we got upset, we chewed people out, cussed, and ended up in jail. It, I'm telling you, amen, the importance of regulating your emotions and being taught how to do it, amen, is so vital. And that's why God, in many cases, is not looking to get everybody's permission before he forgives person over here. Amen. Hallelujah. I know that makes us upset. I know some of us want it that way, but you can't change the word of God. I can't change the word of God. Hallelujah. Oh, somebody give God a hand praise right now. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. I want to encourage you today to always, someone say always, Always run to God and tell him what you did. Always. 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 And when you do, you will eliminate a whole layer to your trouble. The importance behind the idea of always confessing your sins to God is overlooked by most of us. In 1 John 1 and 9, it says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I am telling you that I have read this verse wrong for years. The way I have always read this, the way many of you read, read, read this, is if you mess up, tell God what you did, he's really nice and he'll forgive you. And he'll do it seven days a week. 52 weeks a year. But let's ask ourselves, why does John tell us to confess our sins? And then the first thing he tells us is God is faithful. You know why? Because we have no guarantee that people will forgive us. The reason he says, go to God and confess it. And he will forgive you. And he is faithful to do it. It's because you and I have no guarantee that people will forgive us. In fact, we know that many people will not forgive us. We know that many people, if we tell them what we have done, if we tell them what our motives were, if we told them where we're at, they would lose confidence in us. We know, not we think, we know that many people will struggle to ever trust us again. Y'all are getting quiet on me. Somebody out here thinking, that's right. We have no guarantee. We have no guarantee that some people won't take what we've done and use it against us. Many will. We have no guarantee that anybody will just let it slide. Many will not. We have no guarantee that people will give us a pass. We may not need a pass, 
But we have no guarantee that people will forgive us, love us, trust us, or confide in us ever again. What we do know is that God will. We are so bad at being faithful regarding forgiveness that the scripture is literally brimming with exhortations to believers to not do this. Not sinners, believers. Luke 6 and 37, Jesus says, forgive and you will be forgiven. Mark 11 and 26, Jesus says, but if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive you your trespasses. Proverbs 11 and 17 says, the merciful man does good to his own soul, but he that is cruel troubles his own flesh. The Bible in these three verses alone is letting you know if you don't forgive, it's going to go bad for you spiritually. If you don't forgive, it's going to go bad for you eternally. If you don't forgive, it's going to go bad for you in your flesh. Guess what? Unforgiving people are sick people. Unforgiving people are miserable people. Unforgiving people have ulcers. Unforgiving people have headaches. Unforgiving people... I'm just letting you know, the scripture is telling us this because we lean, we have a bias and an inclination to not forgive people their sins. But John assures us that this is not what God is struggling with. God is not struggling with forgiveness. He has denied himself the feeling of resentment. If God wanted to, he could be resentful, but he does not want to be resentful. And the reason he doesn't want to, I'm trying to encourage somebody here to talk to Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. The reason he is not resentful is for our sake, because too much is at stake. Number one, if people cannot find forgiveness anywhere, they will hurt themselves. And if they feel marginalized plus unforgiven, they're going to hurt others. If people cannot find forgiveness, they're going to hurt themselves. They will hurt themselves. They will cut themselves. They will jump off bridges. They will drink and drug themselves to death. They will sleep around. They will gamble. They will be lost in all kinds of debauchery. Not because they're bad, but because they are unforgiven. And if they feel, amen, if they feel that their status, if they feel enough status uncertainty, if they believe that society is now rejecting them for the way they are, they will begin to inflict pain on society. They will show up to their school campuses with guns. They will show up to their jobs with guns. They will show up to airports with guns. I am telling you, nobody stresses me out more than people that perceive themselves as unforgiven and marginalized. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm if the church has ever had to be careful about the way we open the doors, it's now. If the church has ever, you know, I'm going to say this again. Somebody says, pastor's getting on us. Pastor's getting on us. This is one of the reasons we come early for prayer. Amen. Hallelujah. 
This is one of the reasons we come on time for prayer. Because, amen, we are trying to create an atmosphere here, amen, where the marginalized, the hurt, and the unforgiven feel that there is hope and mercy, amen, and a spiritual connection to God. Amen. Come on, somebody. Amen. Hallelujah. I am just telling you, if that was available at every church, every church in America would be packed out. But it's not available in every church. Amen. Hallelujah. There's a lot of churches, apostolic, Pentecostal, Presbyterian, Methodist, Seventh-day Adventist, Jehovah Witness, and Mormon, praise God, that have a spirit of unforgiveness. There is no spirituality exuding, amen, from their altars or from their pulpits. And when people walk through the doors, they feel just as lost as when they walked in. They feel just as unforgiven as when they walked in. Amen. Hallelujah. That will not be the case here. That cannot be the case here. That must not be the case here. There must be such a spiritual momentum. And come on, somebody. And flow. Praise God that the most condemned person, amen, walks into this house and says, I have arrived at the right place at the right time with the right people. And he is the right God for me. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. Oh, let's give God a hand clap of praise. There's devils. There's devils attached to every human sin. I know this is not a very kosher message if, if we had a ton of visitors here today, but it's just us. When you start, when you start sinning, it would be nice if it, if it just turned into a you and God thing that just gets fixed. But the devil shows up so blindingly fast. Brother, sister, do you understand that it is a miracle that you are alive? Amen. Do you understand? And I don't mean to be graphic, and so I will not be graphic. But suffice it to say, any human being that enters existence is a miracle. It is a miracle. Getting pregnant is not easy. Bringing a child to full term is not easy. And, 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 and which, which child is going to, who is going to come out of that engagement between a man and a woman is a miracle in and all of itself. A baby making it all the way is, is a miracle. Every, I don't care how much your child gets on your nerves. That child is a miraculous, amen, get on your nerve kind of thing. Praise God. But I am just telling you right now, you, my dear friend, are a miracle. Do you, I know there are six billion people on the earth, and you might feel like you are insignificant. That's exactly what the devil wants you to believe. That's it. Because if you are just another face in the nebulous of humanity, then who are you that God would take any kind of interest in you? Who are you? Well, I got news for you. You are a miracle. God is the one who signed the papers on you being amen able to enter existence and God is the one who does not want to lose you and God is the one who does not want to just throw you away God does not see you as replaceable God does not see you amen hallelujah as 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 as, as just uh, as as just a ball of flesh that he could do with or without God loves you my friend and the scripture says for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him should not 
not perish but have everlasting life. Praise God. I am telling you right now, if you are on planet earth, if you are a human being and you fall and you sin, be it intentionally, unintentionally, deliberately, mistakenly, amen, hallelujah, the devil's going to get in as quickly as he can, amen, in hopes of ruining you, in hopes of destroying you, in hopes that you'll never get up, that you'll throw your life away, that you'll either commit, amen, immediate suicide, spiritual suicide, emotional suicide, a slow death. He don't care how you do it. He just wants you to do it. He don't care how you throw your life away. He just wants you to throw your life away because your life, amen, is the fingerprint of God and your life testifies of God's goodness and greatness and your life testifies. Oh, somebody give God a hand, love, or praise. Oh, come on, let's praise him right now. It, you know, it's not that the devil personally hates you. He hates the image you were made in. And he will do whatever he can. In his twisted and distorted mind. To get even with God. Well, there's nothing on earth made in his image. And God is not horribly concerned with the material world. You could vandalize that wall back there. That, that, that's not going to put a whole lot of dent in God's concern bucket. But if you can vandalize a human, you're going to have God thinking, moving, acting. And so the question is, and this is not part of the message, but the question is, how do you vandalize a human? How do you vandalize a human? How do you desecrate the image of God? You pierce it. You paint it. Y'all are getting quiet on me now. You make it walk out of the house half-dressed. You tell it to drug, to drink, to fornicate. Vandalism. I'm telling you, a whole lot less men would struggle looking at women if you realized that what you were looking at was not, amen, hot mama. What you are looking at is vandalized property. And when you begin to stare at women that are not your wife, what you are doing is you are co-signing and agreeing with the demonic world saying, that's right. Not only is it right, that's entertainment. Y'all getting quiet on me now. I am just... A lot of people don't want to confront this side of real ethics. A lot of people don't want to confront this side of integrity and morality. A lot of, I am telling you right now, praise God. And the same goes for you women. Praise God. We, 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 we have to be careful because the devil desecrates males too. He vandalizes them too. Praise God. He makes them do all kinds of crazy things too. Amen. And when you look at that man and you look at him in any other way other than a person made in the image of God, you too are co-signing and finding enjoyment and agreement in something, amen, that is of the most, 
amen, debased nature. It is something I am telling you right now. I feel a little kickback, and I'll put it in park if I feel more kickback. Praise God. I am just telling you it's time, amen, hallelujah, that we begin to deal with the spiritual element of what's really going on, amen, on planet Earth, and what battle we're really in, and what fight we're really fighting. Praise God. I am telling you right now, we got to... We, we got to realize what's going on when people are hurting themselves. We got to understand what's going on when people are hurting others. Praise God. There is a spiritual component that must be dealt with. Amen. I am telling you that without forgiveness, Jesus, Jesus' mission to die for the sins of humanity is rendered vain. He would be working against his own purpose, his own telos, his own plan, his own ultimate goal. When you look at the Bible, when you look at the Bible clear-headed, when you get all the condemnation and guilt and shame out of your head, what you are going to see is God in search of humanity. You do not see humanity in search of God. A clear-headed view of Scripture reveals that when humans sin, it's God that comes looking for them. And he does so in every occasion with the hopes and aspirations that you and I will confess. That you will confess what he already knows. What he already knows. I'm telling you, God is not the one that you have to worry about surprising. When you confess to people, you better brace yourself. Because they may have thought that that was a halo over your head. And it's always a shock to find out the halo was held up by horns. Listen, me and my wife, I don't, we, we kind of, we stopped saying it, but we, we had been married at least a decade. And there was just times we were like in bed thinking, who is she? Who is he? We surprised each other for a long time. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Some of y'all are still in the surprise phase. <laughs> That's right. God's not in the surprise phase. God got delivered from, God never even had that issue. And so it's best for you to get to talking when God gets to moving. Oh, somebody help me preach. It was God looking for Adam. It was not Adam looking for God. It was God that came looking for Cain, not Cain that came looking for God. It was God that came looking for Moses at the burning bush, not Moses that was looking for God. It was God that came looking for David, not David that came looking for God. It was Peter. It was God that came looking for Peter, not Peter that came looking for God. It was God that came looking for Paul, not Paul that came looking... 
Come on, somebody. I'm telling you, you ain't reading your Bible right. Amen. I know some of us want to take a whole lot of credit for God in our life. I'm telling you, the only one that gets credit for God being in your life is God. It was him that came looking for Gloria. It was him that came looking for Jessica. It was, it was him that came looking for Chris. It was him that came looking for Fernanda. It was him that came looking for Luke and for Cameron and Janelle. It was God that came looking, amen, for Brian. It was God that came looking, amen, for Will. It was God that came looking, amen, hallelujah. Come on. It was God that came looking for Chelsea and Kevin. It was not us looking for him. It was him looking for us. Oh, come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. Oh, hallelujah. Do you remember the day he walked into the bar? Do you remember the day he walked? Come on. Oh, hallelujah. In fact, this is so clear in scripture that the prophet and king and psalmist of Israel, David, he wrote in the Psalms, he said, if I make my bed in hell, you are there. God came looking for me at the low points. God came looking for me at the club, at the bar, in that man's bed. God came looking for me while I was stealing money out of my parents' purse. God came looking for me. Amen. Hallelujah. While I was lying on my taxes, God came looking for me. Amen. Hallelujah. When I had a razor blade to my wrist, God came looking for me. When I was snorting things up my nose, God came looking for me. Amen. While I was lying, cheating, stealing, God came looking for me. Amen. In the middle of college, God came looking for me. Amen. When I thought I had it all together, amen, only to find out I was unraveling at the seams. I'm telling you, he's a good God, great God, merciful God. You ought to talk to God, confess to God, run to God. Tell him. I said, tell him. Oh, somebody give God a praise. Hallelujah. Oh, let's praise him. Let's praise him. Let's praise him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All across this congregation, pastor included. There are people suffering senseless pain. Why? Two reasons. Three. Number one, there is a devil pounding on us. Pounding on us. Pounding on us. Kicking us. Berating us. Heckling us. Laughing at us. Telling us you're not a good mom. You're not a good dad. You're inadequate. You're, you're not attractive. You're ugly. You're failure. You're not rich. You're poor. This is your fault. This is, this is all you're doing. You don't deserve nothing. He's pounding. You're not going to get out of this. You're stuck. If you were going to get out of this, you would have got out of it 10 years. You've been struggling for 20 there's no hope for you. This is your third time coming around. You've messed up so much, you've lost count. What can God do with a person like that? We are suffering because we are getting berated. And our response to that berating is to stay quiet. 
and we do not. Number two, reason number two, we do not confess our sins to God. If you've been at East Bay Bible Fellowship, you've heard me say this, but I'm going to say it till the day I die. Too many of us are telling God how we feel instead of what we did. I feel horrible. I'm sorry. And then we just forget to tell him what we did. You've got to tell God what you did. You're not in a debate or in an argument with God. And you don't need to worry. He's not going to reject you. He's not, he's not going to lose confidence in you. Do you understand? You have nothing he needs. Just talk. I stole this. I drank this. I smoked this. I snorted this. I went here. I called them. I waited till I was alone. I lied about. We don't want to play religion, do we? If you need to go tell somebody something you've done, listen to your pastor. God will tell you. For now, put that up on the shelf. And do the important thing. And do the urgent thing. And this cannot be delegated. And it cannot be outsourced. Nobody can do it for you. This is something you must do. I said this to the church. The Bible says there are three things in the world. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. The lust of the eyes tells us. Do you understand that your eyes lust? They lust to see things their way. That is the lust of your eye, is to develop an opinion and then stick to it. To formulate a perspective and then die by it. I could, there, there's actually people in this church that I know have done this, so I, please, I'm not trying to talk about myself. But, but I, I promise you, I've had some of the most outlandish things said to me. Directly against me, in opposition to me. And you know what I do? I will really go in the prayer and be like, God, if they're right, I want to know. <laughs> And there has been a few occasions where they're right. And there's been plenty of occasions when God says, don't you worry about that. That person is, is, is not right. But what I'm not going to do is activate the lust of my eyes. 
want to see things my way. And I close with this. The last thing and the last reason many of us are suffering senseless pain and anguish is because we don't have enough confidence in what confessing our sins to God does. We simply don't believe that that's where the answer is. We simply just don't believe it. And somebody said, well, how do I believe it? You give it a try. And you do it with all your heart. Even when you have to do it more than once. In the first six chapters of Genesis, there's a little thread. There's a little thread of do it again. Adam and Eve had two boys. I've been, they had two boys. Cain and Abel were Adam and Eve's sons. Y'all remember that statement. Two sons. The Bible says, and Adam knew his wife Eve and conceived a son and named him Cain. Cain was not the devil's son. Cain was not the serpent's son. Cain, Adam was Cain's dad. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says, I'm on, I'm on a rant, some of you know. But let me tell you this, because God keeps dealing with me about this all morning. The Bible says that things beget after their kind. We are not reptiles. We cannot have children with reptiles. Humans can only have children with humans. Dogs can't even have puppies with cats. I don't know, with a cuppy. <laughs> Things can only be get after their kind. We are not even angel kind. We are called by Bible and scientist humankind. Humans can only interact with humans. Anyways, two boys, two boys, two, and one of them kills the other one. And at this, at this point, I don't even know how old Adam and Eve are because they died at 900. Let me tell you, if I was in my 500s and one of my sons killed my other son, I'd be done having babies. I'm in my 40s, and if my daughter's getting a fight, I'm done having babies. <laughs> Some of you with more than two kids, you know, you're not even in your 60s. Well, imagine if you were in your 600s. The boys aren't fighting. They're killing. You know what you would do? The same thing you did at 60. You stop having kids. But what do Adam and Eve do? They try again. People have no idea the courage. The courage to live. The courage to try. 
the courage, the courage to see if things could get better. They, a lot of we don't we read right past that as though it's no big thing to have another kid when the kids are killing each other. It's a big deal for you to have enough courage to say, "I'll have another one." And they had another one, and Eve held him, and she said, "His name will be called Seth, which means in place of." She said, "For the Lord." The Lord has given me another son in place of Abel, who Cain slew. Praise God. And the Bible says just a few verses. I feel the Holy Ghost. And the Bible says just a few verses later, and men begin to call on the name of the Lord. Praise God. She tried again. Praise God. Amen. And then we read about a man named Noah. And amen. He's living in a world that's populated by violence and sin, debauchery and evil, carelessness and indifference. And God says, I got to wipe the place out. And God wipes the place out. And you know what got wiped out in the flood? Noah's house, Noah's neighborhood, Noah's neighbors, Noah's, Noah's, Noah's childhood friends, his kids' friends, his wife's friends. Amen. Everything got washed away in that flood. And you know what God did? He said, I'm going to try again. And you know what Noah did when he got off the ark? He said, I'm going to try again. Amen. Hallelujah. You don't give up just because sin wins one day. You don't give up. I'm preaching this. You don't give up. Amen. You don't give up. If sin won on Wednesday, get up on Thursday. If sin won on Friday, get up on Saturday. If sin wins on Saturday, get up on Sunday. If sin wins on 2021, get you back into church in 2022. Amen. I'm telling you, don't ever give up. Don't ever give up. Get up. Get up. Get up. Get up. Run. Run. Run to Jesus. Tell him what you've done. Tell him how you did it. Tell Tell him when you did it. Tell him where you did it. Confess him and, and he is faithful. Him and maybe everybody else won't forgive you, but God will forgive you. Maybe everybody else won't wash it away, but God will wash it away. Get up and try again. Get up. Come on, somebody. Oh, somebody give God a hand clap of praise. Hallelujah. Let's all stand. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost so strong in this place. Hallelujah. Oh, look, can we just lift our hands for a few seconds? I feel the Holy Ghost in this house. Oh, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, I praise you. Jesse, can we sing that song, I Must Be Saved?
This altar is open for you this morning. house. 